You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark is the thing. So glad that you could join along. Thought it would be fun today to play some really loud music at the same time that I was playing this intro to see if I could pick out when I was supposed to come in. And I think I did it right, but I'm not sure. You know, when you've got about, uh, I don't know, 1,800 episodes of of, uh, podcasts, you do stupid things to keep things fresh, you know? By the way, I can barely hear myself, so if I'm speaking loudly... It's because I can't hear myself. I want to. I want to. I feel truly blessed uh, to be working with all of you. You know, before this all started, uh, funny story. I was in the bathroom, vomiting and vomiting in that men's room. Okay. D'Angelo Vickers, am I right? Um. All right. Yeah. So uh, you know how this works. We're gonna play some calls. That's play some calls, not place some calls. Although I could understand the confusion there. Also, we'll see how it goes. Maybe Wendy's wants to talk about the Packers. Anyways, let's start off with our boy Nate, hey. who I can already see because of uh, thank you Google for showing me ahead of time. There's a lot of stars here. Um, stars as in F star 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 star. <laughs> so dang it, Nate, I got a lot of editing to do. It's Nate. I uh, wanted to call in for with a message for all the people who. Uh who are saying the salary cap isn't real and we should pay Jones uh, $20 Oh, I got Nate all riled up now. Rogers the full $60 million. Keep everybody. Just pay him, pay him, pay him, pay him, pay him. Pay everybody everything that they ever want. Yeah. Um, if you could all shut up, just shut the f*** up forever, forever and ever and ever and never, ever <laughs> another question out your dumb f***ing <laughs> word hole, that'd be great. Um, the salary cap is real. It is. Oh. Do you want to be the Rams? Do you want to be the Browns? Do you want to pay these people a billion dollars to have a season like we just did. No Super Bowl, no playoff, anything. And- Here, here's the thing that I think is funny. You will never hear anybody ever that says the salary cap is not real give you an example specifically laying out how they're going to get something done because they have no idea. They just say, well, the, the salary cap people know. It's like this magical formula that they... No, 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 no. You go do the homework, and you figure it out. 
You make it work so that the money disappears. Because you know what? The money can't disappear. It doesn't. But the first person that shows me somebody that says the salary cap is fake and you can do whatever you want with the salary cap, and that person shows step-by-step process to do these things that they want done, I'll give a billion dollars to. And yet we're still in cap hell? No. Shut the up. We don't need them. We don't need these people. We have a lot of young rookies who are on cheap contracts. We're going to be drafting some more people. We'll be fine as long as we don't keep doing dumb shit like you want us to do. Rodgers doesn't need to be here. And if Rodgers is here, I'm sorry, I love Aaron Jones. He is too expensive as a running back. It's not a premium position anymore. Okay? He's good. We have we have Dylan. We can draft another guy. We've got guys on a practice squad who could probably come in and be sufficeable. It's it's okay. It's okay to do that. I know Jones is a good guy. He's great. He's a good locker room guy. But you know what? I don't want to mortgage our future. Okay? I don't want to pay I don't want another Rodgers contract where if he retires, we got a hundred million dollars in dead cap. No, not again. No, we're done. We're done. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. All right. Here's another point because I've already kind of covered this enough. Um, but I, I, I had one other thing that I wanted to add. You can't, th- there are certain contracts that can be manipulated to make it seem as though, and it, it's so funny how this happens every year. Somebody will be like, $50 million over the cap, and then they end up six months later signing some big superstar. I'm like, don't ever tell me the salary cap isn't fake again. There are certain things that you can do this year that help only this year. And very likely, unless somebody's just like, oh yeah, just just cancel my whole contract, they're hurting next year. And so it makes room this year and hurts next year, right? We, we kind of understand that, I hope. But you can't do that with everybody. So, for example, the Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones contracts, they don't really fall under that that ability. A lot of these contracts, if you look at them, you'll see that there's space when you factor in. You know, for example, you'll look at a contract and let's say they they spike up to like 23 million, just throwing a number out there. And then next year it's 23, and the next year it's like 24, and the next year it's like 25. That's not going up at a normal rate. Usually they spike toward the end, so that's providing a lot of cushion. On top of the fact that a lot of that money's kind of fake, and the guarantees might be completely gone. So if you put $4 million in guarantees and let's say $10 million total or however you work that out um, at the end, you're looking at like a $4 million dead cat. Even though the, mo- the money's really big, you can look at it and say, we can manage it if we decide to because the salary cap accelerates and so at that point we're basically still at 23 right it's 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 proportional to the 23 this year even though it's up to like 30 it's about the same amount of money but also we can still cut the guy because the guarantees have dropped off so if we want to cut him we got four five six seven eight million that sucks but it's going to save us up against the 30 million you know if we're talking let's say five million dollars in dead money we're saving 25 million dollars we can move on, no problem. If you look at Aaron Jones, that's sort of the case, but not really. He's at 20 million. Next year is 16. 16 is still too high. Now, if you want to, you can, but there's also some other issues. We've already got two years of voided money. Now, we can, if we so choose, 
just, I mean, you, you can do whatever you want so long as you're okay with the, the pain that is going to ensue next year. So this isn't exactly how this works, but let's just pretend that it is. Let's take uh, 10 million off of this. Good round number. Although it's not super round because we're dealing with three. Let's call it nine. Bring it down to $11 million. And we've got 2024 and we've got two void years that are already sitting there. And I'm pretty sure we can use those void years and throw money on them. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Let's just say we do it anyways. And we take that $9 million and we convert it into a bonus. In other words, we cut Aaron Jones a check. We say, here you go. I'm going to put $9 million in your pocket. And then for accounting purposes, we're going to destroy... You know what? Actually, it is four years because we've got to include this year. Let's go back to 20 <laughs> or 10. Here's your 10 million bucks. We're going to take 2.5 million and spread it out over these millions. So it drops to 10, but we got to take 2.5 and tack it back onto this year. So we're at 12.5, much more manageable. Next year goes up to 18.5 million, but then we have to add 2.5 million to 2025 and 2.5 million to 2026. So this year is solved. Then what do we do next year? Well, we just do the same thing all over again. Okay. So if we're at 16, or excuse me, we're up to 18.25 million, we want to bring it back down again. Just to be clear, we've got two void years coming up right now already that account for 6.2. So so let's just pretend we don't do anything. Let me give you a a recap of where we're at. This year, we have to pay $18.25 million for Aaron Jones. 18-something million. I should write this down. That's too much. But let's just pretend we're just going to eat it. So we have to pay way too much in 2024 for Jones. And then next year, Jones is a free agent. And Jones goes bye-bye, and at that point, we are on the hook for $6.5 million for him to not play for us. So we have to overpay for him in 2024, and then we have to pay $6.5 to to, for, for him to not play for us. But if we want to bring this 18.2, and let's say we don't even need to go down quite as much. we got three years to work with. Let's just shave six, let's call it a $9 million bump. So we're going to put $9 million more in his pocket. That'll drop it down to 9.5, but remember, we got to add three more back on. So that puts us at 12.5. So that's two years, 12.5 this year, the two completely reasonable years. See, the salary cap is completely fake. But remember, we got to put $3 million on those other years as well. That's two void years at $6.270 million. So now we have to pay $12.5 million for Jones to not be with us. Now, again, you, you can slice that up. And let's say we don't want to go down quite that much every year. We can pay him $15 million a year. That'll bring down the, the whatever. So we're only paying 10 9 whatever it is. But the bottom line is, either way, we're going to end up in a situation like we are right now with Adrian Amos, where he's going bye-bye, and we have to pay for that privilege. And we're going to pay a lot of money. The point is, it doesn't matter how you slice it. This money is going to be paid by the Green Bay Packers. And, and, and the worst part is, we end up paying more if we keep pushing the money out, the reason being, as of right now, if you look at it, um, beep, beep, boop, bop, beep, 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 if we were to, the, the dead cap hit, if we move on this year, is $9.58 million, which essentially means that's all the guarantees that there are. Nine and a half, call it $9.6 million. That's it. You know how I know? Because you have to pay the guarantees, and you don't have to pay the nine guarantees. So I know exactly how, many, how much guaranteed money there is based on how much dead cap there would be if we moved on. As soon as we cut that down to 10, 11, 12, 15, whatever million dollar we feel comfortable with and put a check in Aaron Jones's pocket, that's additional guaranteed money that we have to pay. And then if we do it again next year, that's more guarantees. So we're adding more and more money onto this. 
We're not lessening the money. We're adding how much money we have to pay him. And all we're doing is we're putting it in the void years so that we're just adding that money into the year in which he's gone and acting as though because I can't see it, it doesn't mean anything. And Aaron Rodgers is even worse. Aaron Rodgers is wildly untouchable. If you look at the numbers that I'm seeing um, uh, Ken Ingles put up, and, and by the way, I mean, Ken, Ken is, I think Ken is 100% right on the math all the time. But he's, he's potentially wrong about, you know, th- this is going to be a disaster based on what it is now. Not really taking into account the things that you can change. But here's the thing, just looking at where we are right now. As of right now, this is what he wrote for the dead cap hits if Aaron Rodgers is traded or retires. 2023, $40 million if we move on. However, and we've already talked about this. This is, a, again, this is math. This is not going to be changed, and it can't be changed. 2020, the, the only other option is we spread it out over two years. $15.3 million this year, $24.48 million in 2024. And you could say, well, what if we reduce that number? As of right now, if he plays and we don't reduce his number, which we don't need to, but I'm just saying, just as an example, we would pay $68.2 million in 2024. As of today, right now. He plays this year, next year we move on, $68 million. Obviously, that's impossible. We cannot do that. Which, by the way, I don't even know how we're even entertaining as a, as a franchise the, the possibility of Rodgers coming back because then you would have to do a post-June 1 um, retirement or trade or whatever, which I don't think he'd be traded. But that would, that would mean we'd be paying $22 million in 2024 for him to not be here and then $45.5 million in 2025 for him to not be here. And again, as much as you can play with the numbers, you can't play with this. We're talking about him already being gone. You can't play with the, this is it. This is the money we owe. You can't reduce that because you can't spread it out over multiple years because he's gone. And you can only do two years as a maximum. So what can you do magically with the numbers? Nothing. There are certain things that you can tweak. There are certain things you can't touch. You can't touch this. We're talking about in 2024, he says, I'm going to retire. We are on the hook for $68.2 million, and there's not a single thing we can do about it except one. We, we have two options. Take it all now or spread it out over two years. That's it. If you take money this year and push it into the future, all that does is raise the 2024 numbers that we already can't afford. Which, by the way, if, if, if there's any reason you shouldn't want Rodgers to come back, it's this. Do you have any idea how screwed we are with these numbers? $68 million? And again, anybody that's going to tell you that you know these numbers aren't real and we can do things, tell me what we can do with that number. There's not a single thing. Rogers is gone. There's no negotiation to be had. The contract is done. It's gone. It's null and void. All that's left is the NFL looking at you saying, here's your bill. I want it paid. There's no payment plan that you can spread out over five years. That's not how this works. We owe $68.21 million based on the guarantees that were provided that we agreed to and signed off on in Aaron Rodgers' contract. There's no negotiating. There's no moving that around. We have two options. We can take it all in a $68.2 million hit in which we have to cut everybody and, and restructure everybody's contract, or... We do a post-June 1, and we take a $22 million, $23 million cap hit, which sucks to not for a quarterback that isn't here, and then a $45 million cap hit, which I guarantee you, even in 2025, is going to be one of the highest 
uh, cap hits for any quarterback, and it's a guy that hasn't been here for two freaking years. If you want to tell me the cap isn't real, give me one alternative to this. Tell me the alternative. Show me how it works. You cannot find a single, the salary cap is fake person to tell me how to adjust this. It's not adjustable. The guarantees are the guarantees. And and even worse than that, again, there's always a lot of fluff in these contracts that you can move around, but the moving around can only go in one direction. It can only go later in time. And if you've already pushed too much money later in time, there's no more room for it to go on the back end. We've already back-ended this. And Aaron Rodgers is so backloaded, there's no way in the world we can put any money into it. And again, Aaron Jones is similar. Technically, there's a little, I mean, it's, it's not catastrophic if we do it. It's stupid, but it's not catastrophic. We may do it. But the point is, the money is real, and it will be paid. And if we push money back, all we're doing is we're paying more money because we're giving him more guarantees than he already has, which raises the actual effective bill that we owe, because the bill we owe is only the guarantees. Nothing else matters. Until he hits, you know, until, you know, his base salary, we don't have to pay that until he actually plays. So all the rest of this is funny money, but the guarantees you're not getting out of. And if you write him a check and have it put it in your pocket as a bonus and you try to spread that out, now we added more to that bill that we officially have to pay and cannot get out of. So again, here, here is my general rule, moving forward, that is. Anybody that, that doesn't acknowledge the salary cap is real and just wants to throw out some platitudes about there's always things you can do, I'm not going to even acknowledge your existence unless you're going to give me specifics about what the Packers can do to get all these things that you want. And, and by the way, you can lay it out, but it's going to be a plan that I'm not going to like because you're going to have to be very specific about how much this is going to suck in the future. This is what I hate about it all the time, too, because this is so easily disproved. I don't even have to get into all this stuff. Very simply, explain to me how we can bring back Devontae Adams, and let's just throw everybody else in there. We're going to bring back Devontae Adams. We're going to bring in DeAndre Hopkins. We're going to bring I, every, take all the best players and say, I want all the best players on one team. Make that work. Of course you can't make that work. Everybody knows you can't make that work. So stop saying stupid crap like the salary cap is fake. It's not fake, and you know it's not fake. It's malleable, but only in certain ways. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's magic. Hang it, Nate. Stop getting me all worked up here. Wait, do we have any new callers? We do not. All right. Evan, what's up, man? Hey, this is uh, Evan from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I guess technically speaking, I'd be a first-time caller. However, I have called in the past. and uh, I think maybe there was an issue with the audio or something like that, but no big deal. Um, just wanted to kind of share my thoughts. Uh, regarding the whole the whole Rogers thing, um, yeah. I felt very strongly about about him being traded, even you know years ago and everything like that. And um, you know back when there was all that all that stuff about the 49ers you know, possibly trading for him and everything like that. Back when they um, they got their their crappy quarterback that they have now, um, they got hurt this year. Um, you know, I just I, I have to think like looking back, and I know hindsight is always twenty twenty, but um, we should have done that. I, <laughs> we, we we should have pulled the trigger and traded him a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I have I really feel like this front office and this coaching staff is so scared to lose that that crutch that yeah. they have in Rogers 
and so scared to actually show what they can do. Which is really weird because to begin with, they, they I mean, it was nothing but balls to the wall when, when Gutekunst first got in there. And there was a switch that took place, and I'm, I'm guessing it's after Rodgers won MVP and we've got 13 wins and all that stuff. But yeah, there, there is a weird switch that took place where they do feel desperate and like they're so terrified of losing Rodgers. And it's just weird to me because I don't get it. You drafted, this is the guy who drafted Jordan Love. You, you were ready to replace him. So what, what is, where does this fear come from? But I, I absolutely know what you're talking about. It, it feels like they're, they will bend over backwards and do everything from a guy, for a guy that was under Ted Thompson and saw how the Packers did business all these years for him to break so far from that, to bend over backwards. Um, I mean, I, I, again, I, I, and, and, and this is all in hindsight. Again, I was on the let's trade Rogers train, but at the same time I looked at it and I said, you know what? I, I guess I get it. You got the guy, you got to go all in, but you know, th- this is going to hurt. But, but, at this point, having seen that the train is derailed, what are we clinging to here? I don't, I don't understand that. Their job to not have this, you know, this great quarterback at the helm that's always going to get you to the playoffs no matter what, but actually getting over the hump to the Super Bowl is, is <laughs> they actually got to put in some, some real work. Um, it's just it's crazy to me. We could have gotten a haul for Rodgers a long time ago and been in a much better position than we are now. But yeah. look where we find ourselves. Rodgers' play is finally declining. We're and I had made this comment yesterday that, you know, this, this is one of the, despite things somewhat going south for Ted Thompson toward the end as far as drafting ability and all that stuff, I, I feel like he was a master at getting out a year too early, if not right on time. He was never a guy that was a year too late, and I don't think Gutekunst has that gift. I think he's a better talent evaluator. Um, he's done an unbelievable job, I think, especially in in uh, free agency. It's it's shocking what he's done, and and his his last couple drafts, he's had some serious hits. Ted Thompson, again, love the guy, but he couldn't hit a first round pick to save his life. Gutekunst has got a great. I mean, from Rashawn to Jair, we're not just talking guys that can play; we're talking superstars, but. Um, you talk about getting out a year too late. We, we got out a year too late with Adrian Amos, and we're going to have to pay all this money because we kept restructuring his contract. We got out a year too late with Zadarius Smith. We're getting out a year too. I mean, even though, and, and, and I don't see it. This is it's not like I was calling for all these things. I'm the one saying we we need to extend Amos and we need to do all these things. I've been wrong. I'm not saying, but I'm not that guy. I, I don't see it. I was the same guy that said, "Ted, you're an idiot. What are you doing?" Why would you let him go? He he had one of his best years. Like, how could you? And then he goes and just falls off a cliff, has like one bad year somewhere else and retires. Like, oh, crap. Dang, Ted. <laughs> so he he was a magician with that. And Gutekunst does not seem to have, he's he's hanging. And again, maybe it's not that he can't evaluate it. It's just that it's, it's again, that, that panic, that feeling of we can't let anything go. We're so close. We got to go all in. We got to push all the chips in. But it just, it just cr- compounds problems because we're holding on to guys too long. We're overpaying for underperformance. And uh, we're missing out, as you said, on, on potential hauls. Because if we had traded Amos, if we had traded, you know, Zadarius when he was at his peak, if, you know, prior to his injury and everything else, rather than um, paying $11 million for him to go and help get the Vikings into the playoffs and embarrass us, 
Um, you know, if we had traded Rodgers a year ago, my good Lord, we could have gotten an absolute haul for him last year as a, as a, you know, as a back-to-back MVP. Can you imagine the amount of money we would have got for him as opposed to the year he's had now and now an additional year of hemming and hawing about maybe I'm going to retire? Um, you know, again, there, there are a lot of problems with this whole all-in thing as opposed to being prudent. And it, and it, Ted was nothing if he wasn't prudent. And it was boring and it annoyed us because we wanted to be aggressive and we wanted to go out and do all these things. But you're starting to see the negative effects of being kind of wild and reckless and we got to just, we, we panic. And Ted never panicked. He was cool, calm, collected. And if it was the right thing to do on paper, that was the right thing that we did. And um, again, you can criticize the guy all you want, but he's got a Super Bowl under his belt. And whether the all-in crowd wants to admit it or not, Gutekunst is a guy they've been begging for. He did everything that the all-in crowd has been asking for, and we don't have a Super Bowl yet. I like Gutekunst, but I don't like this brand of all-in, and I do hope that it was just because we had a back-to-back MVP, and as soon as he goes out the door, we knock that off and get back to a little bit, a little bit more Ted-like uh, running of this franchise because this this kind of recklessness is insane to me. I'm sitting here once again wondering whether or not Rogers is going to come back and all of this nonsense. And if we turn around and you know he decides he wants to trade, we're going to get less than half of the comp- compensation than we should have gotten uh, than, than we would have gotten years ago. Yeah. And where are we? But how have we done any better? Than, than we, what we have, what we, what we could have done if we had traded Rodgers. We've gone to the playoffs. That's it. There, there's nothing to show for it. So, obviously, we've been talking a lot about this. I do want to hear your your thoughts on you know that sort of thing. Um, other than that, again, Evan from Phoenix, go pack go. You know, it's funny because it actually kind of reminds me of what the what Rodgers and LaFleur always talk about when they talk about young guys and how they evaluate them and all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with making mistakes. Just don't make them twice. All right, Gutekunst, in hindsight, was wrong to do what he did with the salary cap, with all these contracts, uh, giving Rodgers that massive contract rather than trading him when he was asking, essentially, to be traded. Um, I know there's some consternation about that but let's be completely honest the guy was trashing the team every chance he could he would have happily taken a a trade offer if it was given to him um so so okay in hindsight maybe we didn't do the right thing don't duplicate that mistake and we're going to find out right now whether or not we duplicate that mistake And, and he's limited in terms of his ability to not replicate that mistake uh at least with Aaron Rodgers because if he says, I want to come back and play for the Packers, I think the Packers are going to say, okay, sounds good, because there's not much we can do anyways, even though I think maybe the more prudent thing would be to say you can, but uh, yeah, probably we're, we're going to move. You know, again, just say we're going to move on to love. Just say we're going to do it. And then if he wants to come back, he can play for another team. We'll happily trade him somewhere else, but we're not going to do that. So that would be compounding that problem. I'm not going to give Gutekunst an out on that. He has that ability to say, that's fine. You can come back. We're playing love. He's our starting quarterback. Um. But anyways, but beyond that, if Rodgers does come back and we accept that, do not continue this philosophy with all the other pieces. All these guys that need to go bye-bye need to go bye-bye, period. 
we we are in a rebuilding phase or retooling or whatever phrase you would prefer, um, minor rebuild phase, and that's what we need to do, and that's the prudent thing. And if Rogers wants to tag along, cool, man. Yeah, have fun, I guess. Thanks for you know, I don't know. I can't think about those. Keep thinking about those numbers in 2024 and 2025 with him coming back, and it's like, good lord. I just, the, the, there's no rebuild to be had. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what we're in. The, the, the bigger issue is we're not going all in, and we still have to give out these garbage contracts and backload contracts just to avoid the massive salary cap hit of Aaron Rodgers, who's not even on the team. So we're still making bad salary cap decisions, even in the uh, changing of, you know, we're, we're getting out of it. We're, we're moving on from Rodgers. We're moving on from all these other pieces. We're cutting everybody. But we still have to make bad decisions, backloading contracts, just because of this mammoth salary cap hit that Rodgers has on this contract. And I, I'm, I'm just staring at it, thinking, how in the world are the Packers actually entertaining? Yeah, maybe we could bring him back. Like, what are you talking? No, we can't, dude. We cannot afford this. And it really does make this an all-in year. It's not just, hey, let's just have some fun for one more year with Rodgers and see how it goes. We're screwed in 2024 and especially 2025. We have no chance of doing anything. Screwed. Just cash it in for two whole freaking years. On the whims of like, well, maybe the team will rebound with Rodgers because he's got a better thumb and everything. Maybe Christian Watson gets even better and then uh, then we're great and then we uh, get back to the playoffs and are even better and win a Super Bowl and stuff. And for that reason, I'm going to forfeit 2024, 2025. The first two years of Jordan Love's, yeah, that's great. I just don't know how you, I mean, it's survivable if we take the cap hits from Rodgers this year. We spread it out over the two years. It's survivable. Even if we take the full hit this year, it's going to suck a little bit, but that's fine. It's one year, and then we're free and clear in 2024, ready to rock and freaking roll. Survivable. I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't matter. We'll see how it goes. Uh, why don't we just take a break here, and uh, we'll come back on the other side see what Craig has to say. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, Ryan, it's Craig. Hey, Craig. Um, Playing around with a couple of other mock drafts, so I thought I'd throw some names at you. That, um, let's see, one, uh, 
room 115. In one draft, I took Parker Washington. He's a wide receiver out of Penn State. And in the other one, I took Marvin Mims, who's a wide receiver out of Oklahoma. So um, just wondered um, if either of those look like they could be um, some hidden gems there. And then, uh, well, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I'll call back with some some other other folks that pop up once in a while that I'm a little curious about. Um, all right. Thanks for the info. Um, yeah, potentially. I mean, the, the, the fun thing about this, and this is why I got to pick up the pace with the, the NFL draft content, because what I wanted to do was kind of go through the, the initial first round guys, right? We've, we've covered one guy really in depth so far. Um, but the other thing is it's the consensus is just a consensus, but that has nothing to do with the individual opinions of, of certain guys. For example, I went and did a, a PFF mock today just for fun, just messing around because you can trade players, and I wanted to see what they would give me for Rodgers, and it was a ton, so that was fun. Um, but I was looking at the guy, and I got so used to this you know, NFL mock draft database consensus big board that I'm like, this is, this is the ranking. This is just what it is, without recognizing that the way that you get there is by wildly divergent opinions coming together and aggregating into one. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the consensus board, and you're like, Marvin Mims, well, he's 76th overall, so uh, he's a third-round pick. Parker Washington at pick 92 overall, that's, that's what is that, a fourth-round pick? So probably not super great. However, you've got, for example, Chris Trapasso, loves the guy. You know how I know? Because he has him going in the first round in all his mocks. <laughs> he had... Uh, Let's see. Well, some of these were from a long time ago, but his last two from January, Chris Trapasso had him going both times in, uh, well, it was January 11th. I don't know how many he's done, but January 11th and January 18th, he had him going pick 30 to Buffalo. So, I mean, here's a guy that um, his highest rank on the consensus board was 70th, but Chris Trapasso over at CBS says he's a late first round potential wide receiver. Marvin Mims. Interestingly enough, he um, had a more larger head of steam in some of the mock drafts, but he actually is climbing up the board. So it's kind of strange because if you look at it, the last time anybody did a, a first-round mock with him in it, he went to the Packers by uh, Brian Bosarge over at Draft Countdown. Pick 27 is where we were expected to be at the time. That's a funny joke. Um, back in September, they had the Packers taking... Marvin Mims, wide receiver. But it's not like he's falling down the boards. He used to be a first-round prospect, and he's not. I mean, back then, he was projected 166th. He bottomed out at 204th and is currently climbing, 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 and is all the way up to 76th. So a lot of different divergent opinions and, of course, different rankings. Um, 65th by Josh Edwards over at CBS. 56th by Sporting News, Vinny Iyer. Uh, 58th in December by the Draft Network staff. Highest I see going back a ways is about 43rd. So unlikely that he goes at pick 15, I'll say that. I mean, he could continue to fly up the boards, but pretty unlikely. I don't think he's ever really been seen as a first-round guy necessarily. I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I mean, as far as where he's fallen on these big boards, he's never been that. But um, the best mock drafts I can see had him going for example, Cam Meller over at Pro Football Network had him going sixth overall to the Colts, but this was back in 2021, so that was a while ago. But 
fairly unlikely. Um, some quick insights, I guess, about the guys. Marvin Mims listed at five foot eleven, one eighty four, smaller guy. Um, he's largely a boundary guy, but has spent a ton of time in the slot, which is probably where he's going to be. Very young, not quite twenty one years old. Three years at Oklahoma. Um, his rookie year was actually his best year, and then which explains probably why he was twenty twenty one mock drafts. When you're a rookie and you got a ninety PFF grade, it makes sense. Some people think you're going to be in a in a couple years a uh, top five potential pick. But he kind of bottomed out a little bit. I shouldn't say bottomed out, but leveled off maybe. 73 grade in his second year, 75 in his in his third year. Um, statistically, he had the most yards, 1,082 yards and six touchdowns. Got a little bit of rushing experience, but very, very little. Not really worth talking about. A little bit of special teams experience, mostly punt return, which makes sense. Um, this past year, he had 11 returns, 160 yards, which is 14.5 average, which is quite high. It's actually extremely high for punt returns. Um, and he only had one kickoff return, and it went for 38 yards. So there's definitely some return potential. His career kickoff return yardage is 18 yards per attempt, which is relatively low. His career punt return yardage, which he has 35 returns for 394 yards. Um, his longest was 41 yards. His average is 11.3 with two muffed punts. Both of them came in year two. So he does have that. And remember, the Packers have a kick returner. They're a little bit iffy on punt returner, and this is definitely more of a punt returner, so that would fit a little bit better if you wanted to look at him for doing that kind of work. Parker, also a small guy in terms of his height, um, but is 215 pounds at 5'10". So he's he's short, but he's stocky. Um, again, return ability, we'll start there because that's the page I'm on. Started off as a kick returner, five returns, 101 yards, 20.2 average. And then for whatever reason, Penn State in year two was like, that's enough of that, probably because he was a wide receiver. And then in year three, his final year at Penn State 2022, they made him a punt returner. 18 returns, 103 yards, 5.7 average, which is not great, including a muff punt. But anyways, as a receiver, kind of year two was his his spike year. So 66, then 81, and this year is 76, talking about his overall grades. So there's another guy that in year two, it's like, dang, this guy's going to be real good. But then he kind of regression to the mean, mean kind of a situation. Um, his best game, though, or uh, tied for best game, was against Ohio State, which should inspire some confidence. Uh, he is more of a pure slot receiver. So again, another opportunity there if you're looking for a Randall Cobb replacement. Um, his best year statistically, again, year two, but that was only 820 yards and four touchdowns. I don't know exactly what they have in terms of how many guys they have. That obviously would factor in, but um, not really blowing the doors off statistically there. And he also has quite a few down games, so he's got a lot of really good games. Um, And again, the fact that Ohio State is his best, but he also has got several pretty just bad games mixed in, which isn't great, but um, especially for mid-round, I think, uh, opportunity. At pick 15, I'd really, really be stunned, especially for two guys that are undersized and probably slot guys if they would make that kind of a jump even into the first round, much less pick 15. Sort of my initial thoughts on that, Craig. Hey, Ryan. I want to continue this uh, thought on the tight end situation and address a couple of things maybe that you had uh, discussed in one of your other podcasts uh, regarding uh, tight ends that Rodgers has had in the past and how good have they been and were they, you know, Pro Bowl caliber and First off, I think of is first example is Bubba Franks. Bubba Franks was a legitimate end zone threat, a red zone uh, touchdowns, 
he was a really, really good blocker. And uh, listening to Mike Wall uh, bring him up in a podcast uh, reminded me of him and just how effective he was as a tight end. And uh, he was a high draft pick of theirs. Um, and then we move on to Finley, who I think re- legitimately, you know, after the Super Bowl, the, the guy was flashing uh, some really, really good uh, uh, talent um, to be an offensive weapon and just unfortunate the, the injury that he had. So, you know, there, there's two examples there where I think that the Green Bay has hit on uh, potentially really good Pro Bowl caliber tight ends, and I think that they can do it again. With the right system, I think they can flourish. And I, I'm firmly in the camp of taking Mayor in the first round. And I'm, I'm still, after even calling in, you know, a couple of days ago about this, and I know you've already probably addressed it in this, but taking Washington also or and or, uh, just changes their red zone attack completely, I think. I think the guy legitimately, look at him coming out of the backfield. And his reach and his ability maybe to jump over the pile and being as big as he is uh, as just one of those, like, Refrigerator Perry-type handoffs, um, you just don't know what this guy can do. And even in special teams, putting him in the middle for field goal kicks and stuff, and I mean, the guy's reach is just insane. So I, I think he, he brings a lot to the team uh, across the board, special teams, Red zone attack, especially the running game. I just don't see how that they don't pick this guy. Uh, it just it seems like a no brainer. So I'm still in the camp for taking both of them. I'm all in. Just get rid of every third round pick for the next five years and move up and get this guy. That's just, that's just my take. Have a good one. Yeah, I mean I've commented on the tight ends in the draft thing a few times, so. Look, I, I, I've said it many times, and I will say it a thousand more probably. Um, I don't think we've ever really had very good tight ends, uh, at least in the Rodgers era. If you look at Bubba Franks, and I, I have said many times I'm the biggest Bubba Franks fan ever, but it was always kind of an ironic thing. You know, I would, like, who's the greatest tight Bubba Franks, like, he's so good. His best year, as far as I can tell, was 442 yards and seven touchdowns. I mean, that's that's not even, like, Tunyon good. So I can't super get behind that. I know he had uh, several good touchdown years, 322 yards and, and nine touchdowns. He had another season with 361 and seven touchdowns. So he got a bunch of touchdowns. He was a red zone threat for sure. Um, but that's it. I mean, he, he never cracked 500 yards. He really didn't even get close. 442 was the closest he ever got. And that was in his one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years in the NFL, eight with the Green Bay Packers, and he only once cracked 400 yards. Uh, Jermichael Finley, again, I, I very, very distinctly remember, and I don't know why I'm the only Packer fan that remembers this. Every single year having the conversation of how much of a freak Jermichael Finley is, how great of an athlete he is, and remember, he's a third-round pick. Uh, it wasn't like he was a, a first-round pick or anything, um, but it was always, he's so good, he just hasn't quite broke out, but he's about to break out. He's about to have this great breakout season. Uh, I went back and looked at his PFF grades. His his one good season was in 2009, where he had 845 yards and five touchdowns. Was his, He had an 82 grade. That was his one. He was very similar the next year, but I think 2010, let me look. I'm guessing he was injured or something because he just uh, didn't really have a lot of... Yeah, he only played in five games that season. 
So he never really did very much. In fact, it seems like he never played like ever. I don't know, 2009 or 2008, unless maybe that was his rookie year. When was he? Yeah, he came in 2008. No, he just didn't get the ball very much. He only had six receptions for 74 yards, and that was just, he played in a lot of games. So his next year in 2009 is um, the first year where he actually graded out very well. It was his second year, uh, 845 and five touchdowns, which is fine. And then he was injured in 2010. And then after that, his grades for the rest of his career were 67, where he had 804 yards and eight touchdowns, 67 overall PFF grade. He had a 28 drop grade because he couldn't stop. He had 14 drops. Um, the next year in 2012, he had a 67 PFF grade. Again, poor uh, drop grade, fumble grade, um, 65 receiving grade. He had 712 yards and two touchdowns. The receiving yards were there for those two years, but he graded out terribly and only had one good year of touchdown production at eight in 2011. And then 2013, he actually graded somewhat higher, back up to a 73. But again, if you're looking at grades, he had one good year. Um, in terms of production, yards and whatnot, he had three good receiving years and basically one good year, 2011, where if you look at yards and touchdowns, but again, he really did not grade out very well, um, dropped a ton of passes. And um, yeah, I just, I, I don't think we've had anything anywhere near the premier tight ends in the NFL. I mean, this is this is on the order of like, a good tight end, but a lot of tight ends kind of fit this mold. Is he better than Josiah DeGuara? Sure, but I'm not trying to set the standard at better than doing nothing for you. I mean, basically, Jermichael Finley's best year was Evan Ingram this year. Evan Ingram. I mean, that's that's kind of like if, if he's not an elite tight end. Evan Ingram isn't, I mean. Very similar, in fact. 67 grade, which is not great. 68 receiving grade, but had the 890 yards and five touchdowns. So that's kind of, and again, that's probably about, well, maybe not his best year because he did have that one year where he graded out really well. But Evan Ingram kind of did too, and that was in his second year. So no, I'm I'm not on that train um, as far as them ever having really good tight ends. I think we every year we heard about Jermichael Finley's potential. It was always about his potential. Next year is going to be the year. Next year is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. He's finally going to have this year. This is going to be the big year. And it just never happened. And then he got hurt, and there was a big controversy about him not being in the picture or something stupid, and then it just kind of ended weird, and and that was that. In fact, just for fun, I looked it up because I want to go see what the narrative was. This is 2013, so this is already at the end, but remember, what, what was the thought process on Jermichael Finley at the end of his career? Here's what it says about Jermichael Finley. Uh, this is um, Bleacher Report wrote this January 15th, 2013, so the end of the 2012 season. Finley got off to a bad start this season, which led to some controversy off the field, and he and his agent, Blank Baratz, shed some light on the situation. Baratz tweeted that quarterback Aaron Rodgers isn't a great leader via NBCSports.com Pro Football Talk. It was an opinion which Finley said did not come from him. A few weeks later, Finley cited a lack of chemistry between himself and Rodgers as the reason for his struggles via the Green Bay Press-Gazette. So again, even Finley saying, yeah, I struggled, but it was Rodgers' fault. What struggles? I thought he was a great tight end. Um, Finley improved after Green Bay's uh, bye in Week 10, dropping fewer passes and topping 50 receiving yards in six of his last seven games. However, Bob McGinn of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported in mid-December that the Packers had already decided to part ways with Finley at season's end because of financial, competitive, and behavioral reasons. So 
competitive being one of those three, meaning he's just not good enough. Here's an article from the year earlier, Adam Lufrano at Bleacher Report, February 22nd, 2012. Jermichael Finley has been signed by the Packers to a two-year $15 million contract. This would have been reported earlier, but Finley was too busy dropping the pen as he was trying to sign the deal. But um, I added that, but you get the idea. Anyways, they go on to talk about how they don't like the deal. Apparently, Finley was pushing to be signed. He wanted to be, they, they were talking about potentially tagging him because of our contract disputes. And Finley was fighting to be considered a wide receiver because they split him out at wide receiver a ton. So they decided to give him a two-year contract at tight end, sort of to kind of lock him in at that spot. And so he's, he's kind of complaining about it. But here's what he says several paragraphs down. In all reality, Finley signing a two-year deal is pretty similar to him signing a one-year deal. It gives us one more year to see if he can play at an elite level. And then whatever he does, we'll just have one year left. He'll be entering the prime at the end of his contract, 26 years old, so we can then sign him long-term or let him go. So again, he's saying we're going to give him one more year to prove if he can be an elite tight end or not. And if not, we'll let him go. And actually, as I'm digging through some of these things, I found a PFF article essentially saying that if he were to be tagged, he should be tagged at a wide receiver, um, which would have been really, really high. So the Packers are wise to uh, lock him down as opposed to tagging him because there's a good chance that he would win his appeal to be considered a wide receiver or whatever. Anyways, and there were probably differences of opinion even back then. Some people said he was already great. I just, I don't recall anybody liking Jermichael Finley. I I remember there was always a lot of excitement every offseason about like, dude, he's going to be so good, myself included. Like this is, you know, he's finally going to reach his potential. He's finally going to be that guy that we always wanted him to be. And he just never, my recollection, he never got there. Ryan, I want to talk about the third round curse. All right. I think it has been a topic of a mini podcast. A lot of people would say that um, we've had some catastrophic picks that have set this uh, franchise back uh, over the years. And uh, I just wanted to highlight just two games this year of where we lost to a team Specifically, we lost because of a certain player beat us. And number one is the Washington Commanders. Terry McLaurin beat us, literally, uh, with the catches that he made over Jaw. And this guy was available in the third round. And instead of picking Scary Terry, we picked Sternberger. Sternberger is no longer playing football. Terry is an all-pro wide receiver. So that's game number one that we lost just this season. Game number two that we lost this season. And game number three, you could say two games we lost to one player, and that's Kirby Joseph. Kirby Joseph was available in the third round for Green Bay. But instead, we picked Sean Ryan. Again, another player who hasn't even seen the field this year. So I think there is some legitimacy to whatever you have spoke to before about them having this kind of like black hole in the middle of the second and fourth round where their progress or their system of how they go about picking a third-round pick is in complete flux. And I just wanted to highlight just two players this season that beat us, that order, it, if you, hindsight's 2020, but you, if you look back, 
both of those guys could have been on this team. And really think about Joseph really, really, really would have made an impact on this team this year. The guy had four picks this year, I think, um, as a rookie. Um, he's a ball hawk, and it would have really possibly taken this defense to the next level where we had some major holes in some games. So I know, I mean, you look back and say, what ifs, but this third-round pick thing has got to change. And like I said before, I'm all for changing, uh, taking those third-round picks and just moving up in the second or moving your fourth-round pick up and getting another pick. But until they can show that they can pick someone in the third round and make an impact, I say get rid of those picks and move your other picks up to get somebody even more valuable that you really want to get. Yeah, I, I I just want to know how much the Packers acknowledge that issue. Like, is 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 Gutekunst having like a roundtable discussion about their process and how it's completely broken in this one particular area? Or are we chalking this up to just complete coincidence and sometimes you miss and sometimes you hit? And yeah, I mean, it's it's just a coincidence, man. Again, it's that heads and tails thing. You know, third round just happens to come up tails every time. It's weird, but eventually it's going to be ahead. Like, it just follow, stick with the process and eventually we'll get there. And I think that's what they're doing. But I just wonder if there is something that they've done to address it and just say, okay, what the heck is going on here? Because... <laughs> This is so bad. Uh, Again, 2022 is the most blatant that that if they were chalking it up to just coincidence, this year is the year that you need to realize it's more than just a coincidence. Now, you you highlighted several examples of the fact that the, the, the draft doesn't drop off after the second round. I feel like as Packer fans, we feel like first round studs, second round slightly lesser studs, but still complete studs. Third round, trash. Like, the, the the draft is over at that point. You're hoping to get lucky after the second round. And the rest of the NFL is like, no, it's like first, second round, pretty First round's awesome. Second round's pretty good. Third round's decent. Fourth round, maybe. And then after that, it kind of falls off. And then you look at it as a Pack fan, like, oh, yeah, we do kind of hit in the fourth round quite a bit, don't we? It's just like good, good, crap, pretty good. And then it's kind of, then it's a crap shoot after the fourth round. But I do hope that there's some kind of a because because maybe it is a just a wild coincidence. It could happen. Who knows? When you're dealing with barely double digits, if that number of picks, of course, random, you know, black and white. You know, was it a good pick? Yes or no? Um, outcomes can skew in one direction. But I hope they're at least looking into their process to see is there something going on here that is causing us to be so bad here as compared to two of our best rounds, which would be the second and the fourth. But I guess we'll never know. Don't know. Yo, yo, uh, Ryan. Yo, yo, yo. What's up? How's it hanging? Everything seems pretty good. Good, um, yeah, things are hanging. Do you understand that a couple of my calls got sort of lost in shuffle last week? Totally okay. Sorry about that. I have got over it. <laughs> good. The big guy, I can handle it. Okay, I, I can handle it. Okay, stop. I can handle it. All right, all right. I'm over. Uh, anyways, good news. I think I might mention what I mentioned that I don't. Uh, sometimes I ramble. Okay. It happens. So I heard today us. from uh, Shafty or Shifty or Shefty or Shyster, whatever his name is. The very best of us. That uh, the Packers and the Aaron Rodgers could be amicable to a trade 
which is really what I wanted. I figured if he's going to retire, he may, we may as well trade him and get something for him. Yeah. I'll be happy with a second. I'd love a first and a third or a fourth, not a third, no third. Um, uh, you know, whatever we get is luck. So, and here's why that's good because I think in 24, I was told by someone who follows this young that there's a bunch of quarterbacks coming out. So after Love goes out there next year and does good, who, who knows what he'll do? I think we'll probably be better next year than this year. Too much junk going on this year. Um, after Love goes out there and proves, hey, dude's, dude's good, you know, so who knows how good we'll do. Um, we're not going to be in the market for quarterbacks. So with all the quarterbacks coming out in 24, gonna, or yeah, still 24, going to do, it's going to push, push down some good stuff, you know, into our feed range because we'll be drafted in it. Hopefully the upper 20s. Um, but uh, maybe we can slide in there and get a good top end receiver, a nice tackle, or a defensive end, you know what I'm saying? Maybe by then a safety, who knows, dog? So that's a good thing because we're not going to be one of them bottom feeding teams going after all the quarterbacks, you know, making all the deals that would be maybe a top 10, you know, like I say, sink to our level. So that's, that's, that's a good thing. And as far as what I could call about, I, I, I don't remember the guy's name, but whoever was the coach for the Minnesota Vikings the last 10 years, he was such a, if he was such a great defensive guy, why don't we hire him? You know, I mean, even Rogers himself was always saying, oh, coach, the whatever his name is, he's always a challenge to play for because he's, you know, and he, he was, he won't beat us a lot. Why don't we hire that guy? Say, thank you, uh, whoever we got now, you stink, um, uh, peace out. You know, and I'm not like Clayton. I don't worry about, you know, when we fire people. Hey, they ain't making a lot of money. Uh, and you ever notice when coaches get fired, they should be hired somewhere else, and it's not a big deal at all. So uh, they, they're in the right job. Or I'm in the wrong job. Um, so why don't we hire that guy? I don't know if we will. Oh, no, 3 o'clock. <laughs> I'm going to just go ahead and pick that up. Um, I'm 90% lost. But I've gathered that we want to hire Mike Zimmer. Pretty sure. But we'll see if that continues in uh, part two of the call. So yeah, let's hire the ex-Vikings coach. Yeah. They would, I mean, the Queens would just love that. That would be awesome. I think he tools up. I know he's joined us in college. I Googled it. He joined us in college squad. Who cares? Flip some cash at that man. He'll come back. Um, and then as far as, uh, you know, I know we, we do need some, we need, we need some power. We need some players. We need some offense. Weapons. I, however, want to draft um, a bunch of road grading offensive linemen that just are good at pushing dudes back dope. to the you know to the next universe. Yeah. Cool. Um, I know we kind of have pass blockers and run blockers, and this guy's a little better at this, and this guy's a little better at that. I'm I'm sick of I'm sick of AJ Dillon averaging his amount of yards per rush as he is after contact. He's getting hit on the line of scrimmage like every down. And we've yeah. seen it. We've seen it when that dude could take two or three steps. When he gets hit three yards downfield, he goes for another three or four or five. Um, it's when you hit him before he gets his momentum, like every big back. You know, you, I don't care how good, what space this is in Tennessee, you hit him at the line of scrimmage, he's gone down. Plus, when he's, if he's getting hit four yards past the line of scrimmage, he ain't getting hit by a defensive end or defensive line, and he's getting hit by a linebacker or a safety, you know, God willing. So, uh, I want, I want offensive linemen that can just shove people into the next, next week. I don't even care if they can pass block. I don't care at all. I want dudes shoving guys all day long. I want AJ Dillon, you know, getting uh, getting four yards before he gets contacted. Because once we can do that, 
we're getting a little play action game. Now, and I think a guy that can pass, a guy that can run block, because our offense is supposed to run off the run, you know? Yeah. I think a guy that Got can it. run block, he could probably every once in a while, you know, pass block for a couple seconds. But to me, it seems like a guy that cannot run block, he can't just run block good every once in a while. It just, I'm just tired of our offensive line being made of paper, right? Yeah. And I want A.J. Dillon to go full steam and get four yards before you contact it and mess with people up like like all them big backs in the past have done. That's what I want. And I'll take a good tight end, too. That's a lot of, you know, uh, Notre Dame. I hate that team. But that's a lot of Notre Dame. I'll take him. Let's take him and a bunch of dudes that have, you know, John Deere's tattooed across their back. Mm-hmm. Uh, tractor trailer. I want a bunch of tractor trailer dudes, right? All right. Well, hey, peace out. Go back, go. And if I think ready, that's a call you. Because you did say you got a call. Well, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Um, yeah, dude. I mean, road grade and offensive line is always a good thing. I'm I'm just kind of sitting here thinking about uh you know, guys like um now I'm blanking on everybody's name. I can remember Zimmer, of course, but I can't think of uh Derrick Henry, there you go. I want to look him up. Because you're right, I mean it it's we, we look at AJ Dillon like, dude, I thought you were supposed to be like super strong and everything. Yeah, I mean he's super strong smacking into a linebacker at full speed. But he can't get to the linebackers, and you know you can't really showcase that power when you're up against 310-pound defensive tackles quite as well. But I will say, I have been somewhat disappointed in A.J. Dillon's power factor because it doesn't really seem to be as much of a factor as I was hoping it would be. We've seen it a couple times, but then you watch Aaron Jones do it, and it's like, oh, I guess, I mean, he can do it too when he's tiny, so there's that, which isn't great. I wouldn't mind seeing a 300-pound defensive tackle kind of go backwards once in a while, you know? I've seen the pushes kind of, but let, let, let me give you an example. If you look at broken tackles and missed tackles per attempt, and when the first contact is I just randomly picked four yards down the field, right? So in other words, you're not getting hit at the line of scrimmage. Derek Henry, when you're looking at bro- broken tackles and missed tackles per attempt, is third in the NFL. Jonathan Taylor is sixth, another kind of big guy. Travis Etienne is fourth, big dude. Josh Jacobs, and a lot of these guys that you kind of expect. Aaron Jones is seventh. Uh, Our dude, scrolling, 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 47th. 47th out of 57. He's near the bottom in his ability to break tackles. If you look at yards after contact per attempt, Derrick Henry, number one. Deontay Foreman, Beast of a human being, number two. Where are the Packers? Well, Aaron Jones, if you scroll down to 17th, is at 3.9 yards after contact per attempt. Uh, A.J. Dillon is 21st, 3.7. So he's built like Derrick Henry, but we're not getting the 6.1 yards after contact per attempt when he's not getting hit at the line of scrimmage. You know, if you you feel like I'm being biased because I picked four, let's just bump it down to two. So it's just, it's, it's... You got just the bare minimum amount of of leeway there. Derrick Henry's still number two. Aaron Jones is 12th. A.J. Dillon is 18th. And if you're looking at broken tackles out of 45 running backs, he's 38th. So we're just, we're not getting that from him, which annoys me a little bit. That That was my whole thing watching him in college, too, was he's big. 
But it's one thing to be big. It's another thing to know how to use your size to generate power. And I've seen it a couple times, but you don't see it consistently enough. And a lot of times it has to do with him just being kind of an upright runner. He's tall and stands up. And there's not a lot of power when you run like that. You got to get low. So I would like to see him get a little better at that. But but I agree. Obviously, we're going to see a better version of A.J. Dillon if he's ever able to kind of get ahead of steam and get through a, a crease or a crack somewhere, as opposed to what we usually see, which is him kind of running into the back of an offensive lineman with nowhere to go. But yeah, man, you know, should, should get that offensive line rocking and rolling. I'm all about it. Anyways, I'm going to head out of here. I got to get some stuff going, namely tomorrow's podcast. You guys have a great night. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.